the gap between two worlds represents this. There's the old world and there's the new world. Okay, so here's where you are or where you were, and here's where you're going. In between that is the gap. And the gap is the transition. And that that's what people need to be conscious of right now is that they are in the gap. Whatever they're doing, things have changed and they're in transition. And the problem is, especially with this type of pandemic that has no history behind it, it's new to all of us. We're trying to sort out, okay, exactly what's that new world going to look like. And so what I like to say to also express that metaphor is that the gap is what we call the in-between place. And I encourage listeners and anybody I talk to about change and transition is to first and foremost, recognize that you're in the in-between place and not to get stuck there. What's up, friends? Thanks for stopping by the show. I'm the host, Sean Dustin. Uh, If this is your first time listening, welcome. Uh, If if you're returning, welcome back. It's good to have you with us. If you are enjoying what I'm doing and want to support it, you can subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, You can also find direct links to the show, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, You can find those at the bottom of the show notes in my Linktree link, as well as uh, episodes from shows that I've been on uh, as a guest. This show is also available on YouTube uh, in video form. So these uh, conversations, you can catch those uh, on video over on the YouTube channel. Nowhere to go but up. Also, check out the con, uh, a new true crime documentary series that's coming out in virtual cinemas august 7th you can catch a free preview of the first episode or actually you can catch the whole first episode uh, on august 5th uh check out the con facebook page or the real progressives facebook page and it should be playing on those uh platforms there will also be a bunch of links that you can follow uh, to any of the stuff, the pre-interviews and stuff like that that I've uh, compiled uh, in the show notes. Today, I am talking with Kevin McNulty. And Kevin is a retired uh, Air Force veteran, spent, I think, over 20 years in the Air Force, Um also, he's a, an author, a coach, um, just a real, just a really cool dude, uh, actually. And we had a great conversation. Talked about a lot of different things, uh, from religion to spirituality, uh, the difference between uh, from from both of our perspectives. Uh, also, just you know, it was just a really good conversation. Uh, it's a couple hours, almost two hours, I think. And, uh, yeah, check it out. I enjoyed it. So without further ado, let's get to the show. (laughs) 
This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast, and I'm your host, Sean Dustin. Today, we are talking to Kevin McNulty, who is an international speaker, author, and coach based in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. He's got over 30 years uh, study work in personal and professional growth in human di- dynamics ar- in the human dynamics arena. God, I hate, I hate cold reading. Uh, he's also a 20 year, uh, he was in the United States Air Force for 20 years, had a, had a long career there. I imagine he retired from that. Uh, he now owns his own consulting firm, Huma Dine Life Skills Institute that offers soft skills and workplace dynamics consulting and training. Kevin is also the author of The Gap Between Two Worlds a book on personal change, transition, and growth. He's also the host of Get the Edge podcast. Kevin, good morning. Sean, what a pleasure. Thanks for having me. No, thanks for uh, taking the time to come and talk to me. Love it. Uh, love it. I've had a chance to listen to a couple of your podcasts, and uh, I just love the way you stream. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'm I'm new for sure. I'm new in it and uh, I'm trying to find my, my place here in this, uh, in this medium. Uh, there's a lot of things that I don't know about, you know, how, I hear you. how to, uh, get an audience and grow an audience and all these other things. But by talking to all of the people that I am talking to, uh, I'm, I'm getting bits and pieces of information. And some of these coaches are actually, you know, offering, you know, Hey, discounts on their stuff, uh, free, free things for my listeners. So, I mean, it's a, it's a marathon. You know, when, uh, where you and I met uh, one of the, on one of the podcast sites, uh, pages, Facebook pages, I have to tell you, I belong to a bunch of different ones, speaker pages, all these sorts of things. I can't find too many that are as, uh, as engaging and helpful as the podcast groups, you know, and uh, it's it's a great place. I get a lot of good information. You know, I've been podcasting a little while, but still, I'm not. It's not my main thing. So I have uh, you know a lot to learn too. And and I just pick up so much, man. Podcast groups are 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 a great great group of people. Well, I be- I think it's because everybody realizes it's not really a feast or famine uh, mentality there. You know, good point. People realize that. Even though there's, you know, a million podcasts on, uh, Apple or iTunes, mm-hmm. only 300,000 of them are actually active. You know what I mean? And continually, wow. consistently putting out, uh, content. You know, people, nice. people, you know, I hate to say it, but are like fly by night, you know, flash in the pan. It's, it's a great idea. It's fun. I, yeah. I, I get it. Um, <laughs> but there's more to it than that. There's so much yeah. more to it than that. I yeah. mean, then you got, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. What were you say? No, I was going to say then. Then you got then you do the editing and you realize okay, this is a little bit of work. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I I was I went hog wild on that, and you know, I was going down holes of ums, you know, and trying to remove every single um to make myself, you know, sound like I'm like I'm not an idiot, you know, right. <laughs> And, there. <laughs> and you you know who I have to thank for that is the first interview that I ever did. It was somebody who did that. And I, I listened to that interview and I'm like, oh, my God, I sound so intelligent. And I'm like, <laughs> you just got rid of all of the all of my dumb verbiage that's unneeded. Yeah. And yeah. and so I started doing it. And then I was like, and eh, you know what? Screw this. I'm just going to let it out how it goes. I mean, 
you know, if you want to listen to me, then listen to me. If you want to, you know, if you want to listen to my guest, listen. I think that's a good point. You know, I've run, uh, I've studied some of these things and there are some podcasters also out there that have all the best equipment. They do all the great editing, all the post-production. They do really all of the technical things, but when it comes down to it, they don't deliver the conversation, you see. And I have noticed there are many out there. I mean, you can look at Gary Vee and a whole host of others who they just let it roll. They're not caught up in the in the things that maybe many would consider unprofessional, if you will, or not, you know, or not seasoned. So I'm with you there. I really am. Well, it it, it feels like a lot of these uh, these shows are, are like trying to get like radio broadcast quality or bring that yeah. radio broadcast uh, mentality to the podcasting space. And it's like, that's really not what this is. I mean, you no. can, you, you can do that, but I think what, what really resonates with people is the authenticity and the fact that like, look, if I throw this on YouTube, what are you looking at? You're looking at, I, I'm, I'm getting to know a little bit about you just by seeing what you're, you know, what's behind you. Uh, yeah. you feel, it feels like you're in a, in an actual conversation with an, with a normal person. It doesn't feel like it's a, um, an ide- ideolic individual right. that you're, that you're listening to who's polished and, and, Correct. and, and, and all nice and, and pretty and clean. Yes. You will not get that with me. I mean, either. Polished and clean. <laughs> Uh, you know, I think there's a lot to be said for, uh, for gruff and, and, and just kind of like, you know, Hey, more people can identify with me than, than, you know, somebody else who's, who's, you know, uh, polished and and all, and all pretty and stuff. Yeah. No, that's good, man. So one of the things that I'm, I'm really trying to do, uh, is not talk so much when I have a guest. (laughs) It's hard to do. Yeah. Well, it's, I, yesterday I was interviewing, uh, uh, somebody and, and we ended up getting on to the subject of, it's more like it was him, an uh, author interviewing me, you know, he was a mm-hmm. psychologist and, uh, organizational psychologist. And he had, I heard something, I'd mentioned something about meth and, and my background. And I guess he has a family member struggling with that. And so mm-hmm. it turned into me talking about my whole thing. Cause he's trying to understand where you know, where, what that is in, in his life, you know, with his wow. family member. And so I was like, well, all right, well, let me try and, and, and steer away from that. Cause you know, it, it really is about, I want to know about you and, and you know, why you're, you're here talking to me and, and what, wh- what you're about. And I mean, 20 years a veteran, we had a pretty lengthy conversation uh, the mm-hmm. other day about some stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like I've I've gotten to know you a little bit. Twenty years in the Air Force. That's uh, yeah, yeah. I you know I like to say that it's essentially where I cut my teeth. I um, and I'll back up just a second to suggest this, and I don't recall if I told you this at the time, but the way that I describe my life is I spent my first almost forty years of life in the military, actually, because I grew up as a military brat. And it, you know, for those who have not been a brat, it's, it's really difficult for folks to understand, but there's a couple of things. First of all, my dad was a green beret, he was a special forces guy. He was 26 years in, I mean, just hardcore. And so as a dad, which he and I have, he's 84 now have a terrific relationship. Uh, 
you know, but he was all soldier and he was all soldier to us. And so we literally were up at five in the morning, had to make our beds like a soldier. Uh, I know we stood at attention when we talked to him, all these other sorts of things. And so I spent 18 years doing that, took a year, year and a half to after I graduated from high school to, uh, uh, you know, to uh, philander, I guess you could say. I mean, I just... Uh, I just broke loose like there was no tomorrow. I was an aspiring musician and singer and songwriter. And so I, I thought that I could uh, make it in that world. So anyways, I broke away from, from living with him and then uh, found myself homeless for a couple of months uh, and decided I probably need to go into the military. Well, because of the, you know, sort of being raised by him in the army, of course, I'm a teenager at the time. I'm 19 years old. I wanted to rebel any way that I could. So I decided, you know, I'm not going to join the army. I'm going to join the Air Force just to piss them off. And uh, and I did join the Air Force. And frankly, it was uh, the best thing that I could have done was join the military. I was a thinker. I was a philosopher, you know, whatever you can be at 19. I was a musician. I had no real direction and the military immediately, and I fit in very well, remembering that I grew up as a military brat. I lived on, I'm, we moved around every two or three years. Think about that from, I mean, all around the world. So th- this was not something that was unique to me. I joined the military and it felt relatively comfortable. But what it really did is gave me the structure that I needed as a teenager, quite honestly. And it was the best thing I ever did. I ended up spending 20 years in mostly because... Every time it came around to new uh, reenlisting, I couldn't decide if I wanted to stay in or if I got out, what was I going to do? Just turned out to be the greatest blessing. So I retired in 2000. And, uh, you know, without getting too complicated about it, when I was in the military, the vast majority of that I spent, I spent in what we call the human relations education field. So I advised commanders on people problems, essentially, a whole host of them from race relations to everything that you can believe. We'd go in and do these huge, uh, we call them climate assessments that, that, you know, you all in the private sector call them employee engagement surveys and did just a lot of work in that arena. And then I got heavily involved in the last few years of the Air Force with the Covey Leadership Center, uh, Franklin Covey, Stephen Covey. And we were integrating the seven habits of highly effective people, principal center and leadership into the Air Force. And so because of the work that I did, I was lucky enough to get on board with that and became one of the people that started integrating that work. And so I started, you know, teaching and presenting and coaching on, as you well know, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People is all about personal development and then principal-centered leadership and what matters most, all of that. And so by the time I got out at 20 years, I was highly skilled in the arena of workplace dynamics and personal development, not to mention that probably in the early to mid 80s, like many, perhaps even you, I started, I got latched on to Tony Robbins and Wayne Dyer and Stephen Covey and just immersed myself into personal development. So again, by the time I get out, got out in 2000, I really had 15, 20 years of a body of study and work. I At, at this point, I had been already doing a lot of training in human relations. And I think Sean, because of my creative uh, skills, I started developing my own models. So in other words, if I were trying to describe how your mindset affects the way that you behave and therefore 
the results you get flow out of what you do. So in other words, what you think uh, flows into what you do and what you do flows into what you, uh, the results you get in life. You know, I had, I built models around those things and visual models, kind of training models, and it became a bit of a signature. So I have a, a variety of these kinds of models, mostly of them just simple to explain concepts and abstract ideas dealing with personal development and so forth and on and on. So yeah, that's it. I mean, in a nutshell, that's how I got to the place that I am now. Started this in 2000, my company, Humandine, which stands for human dynamics. I I really wanted human dynamics, but I couldn't think of anything. And I had my first client. I was like, crap, I got to, you know, I need a name of a company or something, you know? So I just (laughs) kind of threw that together and have been zooming since, you know, I've been doing this now 20 years and just really blessed, honestly, uh, that I've been able to develop a career and literally work for myself. I've had employees and, uh, it's, and and I smile because, (laughs) Uh, after I said employees, because I I think to myself, even though I deal with a lot of employee problems and workplace dynamic problems, man, there's nothing like just working for yourself. <laughs> and that's all you're accountable to, except your clients, of course. Yeah, I'd love to know what that feels like. I've been working for the, <laughs> I've been working uh, blue collar construction for a long time. Um, by the really? way, uh, thank you for your service. Thank you, man. Appreciate that. Uh yeah, I mean, you know, personal development is, I mean, I remember Tony, I remember Tony Robbins. I remember when he first came out and I remember the, uh, the infomercials at the, you know, late night. Exactly. And, you know, <laughs> just this tall, big ass dude just running up and down the aisles trying to get everybody jazzed and jacked up and motivated for life. And let's get ready to change and let's, let's do this, yeah. you know? <laughs> and, uh, I, I never got into him. <laughs> Oh, you didn't really? No, no. I never got into any of those uh, early, early uh, pioneers of, of the personal development, self-improvement space. Um, my, my influences are uh, Joe Rogan, Andy Frisella, uh, more, you know, more of my, you know. I yeah, know. they're, th- yeah. 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 So I was listening to, to Rogan for, you know, been, been listening to him for a couple of years, but I mean, it really, we have, we have similar backgrounds. Um, you know, obviously I'm not into jujitsu. He didn't go to prison. Uh, but I mean, just some of the, you know, how we were raised and stuff that he talks yeah. about, I identify with him quite a bit. And, yeah. you know, sometimes it just, it, it's crazy. It's crazy how, uh, how people influence you. Yeah. Um, cause you don't, you don't necessarily know who, who it is it's going to be that's going to imprint on you. Very well said. You know, and so uh, one of the one of the craziest things that uh, I, I noticed, and it happened to me, is there was a guy that I was working with when I was an apprentice uh, uh, building a hospital, and I was doing fire stop, which is that stuff they put around all of the penetrations that go through the walls, that red stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I was doing that, and uh, there's another uh, part of our industry too, which is insulation, is which I do now, and that's. Uh, and he was telling me, he's like, Hey man, you know, you're pretty smart. You're, you're, you're rolling around with these prints that, you know, a lot of guys can't even read those. And you're, you know, you're, you seem to be doing very well. He's like, you should get out of this and, and, you know, try to get in as an insulator because it's more money for one and it, and there's more longevity. Who knows how long that what you're doing right here is going to last. And, you know, it, it's those, uh, 
and that actually got me to thinking, you know, cause I never really thought about it. You know, I was just doing a job and, uh, you know, I was like, all right, well, yeah, maybe I should. And, you know, I did. And I got in and, 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 and was able to, uh, have a pretty good career. I love uh, that. And doing that. But now, uh, I do that for other people because you never know when you spot talent in somebody or you spot something that, you know, that sets somebody else apart from, from other people, you know, and they may not know that about themselves, you know? And Man. so it, it took that, uh, that person to, to wake up in me something I didn't even know I had. And now I, I just try to pay that. Yeah. I just try to pay that forward now. And anytime I see somebody who I, you know, I, I spot talent, you know, I try to try to hook them up. Even there was a guy that I was, uh, one of our apprentices, um, I had him on, he, I, I knew he would, he was, t we were talking and he wanted to start doing podcasts and stuff like that. And he didn't know that I did it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I just, I, he just heard me overheard me in a conversation about mine and I had him on, you know, I, I said, Hey, come over to my place. Let's, uh, I'll do an interview with you. That way you can see what it's like, you know, and you can decide for yourself if this is something you want to do. And wow. And you just hit on two really important topics there uh, that <clears throat> really resonate with me. I think I had mentioned to you uh, that I have just recently launched a new program called Get the Edge. And it's life skills for teenagers. I won't go into that. But to say that those two things that you just mentioned are two of the things that are actually involved in the modules and some of the things that I'm that I've decided to start teaching teenagers, mostly uh, juniors and seniors, you know, getting ready to make that big transition from high school to college or work or whatever the case might be. Number one is what you just said about, you know, influencing that you just never know who's going to sort of put a stamp on you or who's going to seep into your mind and influence who you are or where you choose to go in your life. And, and, and in fact, the module that I'm kind of talking about there it is in part the concept of, you know, going out and finding mentors. So, and that the bottom line for teenagers, and it's not just teenagers, it's everything. I mean, the things that I'm teaching the teenagers are exactly what I, not exactly, but for the most part, what I teach in corporate America and with my coaching clients. And that is this idea that you will be influenced. There's no if and or buts about it. The key is, is that, of course, younger people are much more influential, as we all know. So what I'm encouraging, you know, young people to understand is that, and, and this is like not groundbreaking news, but who you hang around with, who you not just hang around with, but who you bring into your orbit will have an incredible amount to do with where you go in your life, how you think, what you believe, all these other sorts of things. And so that's incredibly, incredibly uh, important for really everybody to know. It's, it still exists, but of course, as for everybody, but of course, it's more important for younger people. And then, and then the second thing was what you had just said as a mentor. And that is, to your point, that we all have what we know, we all know is called blind spots. And people think of blind spots as something, you know, something that like you got, you know, you got spinach on your teeth and you don't realize and everybody's laughing at you. Okay, that's a blind spot. 
but there are there are there are other blind spots that are for instance fundamentally we m- many I, i'll just should say young people and grown professionals do not know their own potential and there's a whole host of reasons why that is but one of the reasons why we don't know our own potential is because while there are other people that may see it or maybe not but even especially those who 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 see it but never say anything to us um they uh, i don't want to put this in the wrong vein but you, you know you you kind of you kind of rob the other person of having the knowledge that of what you see having the perspective that you see and you brought that out perfectly that when you see spot somebody with talent you say it and i do in in earnestly i do this all the time even with the younger coach i i coach a fair amount of young professionals too and i am always saying something about you know listen i don't know if you know this but you really have a great way of processing information and and getting it whittled down to a to a solid idea and you need to remember that as a professional and and to your point you know people especially younger people but i would say everybody they kind of chime up and go really and you're like yeah you know so it's the concept that i t- i used to tell my daughters this all the time that if you're in the picture you can't see the full picture <laughs> you have to step outside of the picture well how do you do that a whole host of ways one is by asking questions of yourself but the second way is what you just said is getting feedback from other people getting input from other people so now reverse it back to the role that you're talking about i think that every day folks like you and me you know whether you're a podcaster a construction worker uh a speaker whatever it is we have the opportunity particularly i'm going to say this Sean to younger people to be able to help them along and inspire them to do well no i guess inspire them or at least influence from the standpoint that you are going to see people and you spot the talent and you say something to them let them in on that little secret i think it's a great point that you're bringing up there thanks um <clears throat> another uh, another as you were talking about that and something came into my mind is that we also you know being in a capitalist uh uh, system and society it doesn't lend to uh cooperation okay for the most part it, it's competition um, yeah I, I mean i'm tracking with you yeah it, it's competition not cooperation i see what you're saying yeah um and then so when 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 you're always in a competitive uh mode you see you see your fellow man as uh as a as a competitor or Fair somebody enough. who's yes. who's who may be vying for your spot, or you know what I mean. And what yes. what I see in my industry a lot is is that the older guys don't uh, don't teach the apprentices the skills uh, to be faster, more efficient, to keep themselves working once they turn out and become uh, expensive, nice hourly. Okay, so they they but that's all because it's a uh, feast or famine. They don't want it. They are afraid that, that this guy's going to come back and take my job. Yes. Very good point. Yes, absolutely. And so if we can get away from that and I, and I believe that when you spot that in, in other people and you treat everybody as colleagues or, or, you know, uh, uh, peers or whatever. Yeah. Peers, colleagues, you know, you're not my, you're not my competitor. You're my, uh, you're my, um, 
whatever put whatever word you want to put in there other than competitor yeah you're my yeah you're my friend my brother my uh, collaborator my i know i get where you're going with it you know absolutely agree um you know i i i if we can come at it from a a, a perspective of you have something to offer me i have something to offer you let's have an yes. exchange and see if see if there's anything there. Let me, you know, and, 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 and don't look at me as a competitor. Just look at me as somebody. If I have something that, if I have some knowledge that will help you to not have to with the podcaster and the, the, my friend that wanted to do the podcast, it was my whole goal with him was to hear the steps. All right. That I took you don't have to take them, but if you want to, it'll eliminate a whole lot of this other stuff that you will have to inevitably figure out. Not that that's bad, that, you know, that, that is a good thing when you figure out something for your own, then you're able to build sure, your own system around yeah. it. You know what I mean? Of, of things that are easier for you. But I mean, if I can help eliminate some of those steps and give you, you know, some of my best practices or what I found that are easy for me, you know, and hundred percent, you know, and you're, you're talking about, you're talking about the notion of people that, you know, it, you know, some of us have what we call the abundance mentality and others have what's known as the scarcity mentality. People with the abundance mentality who you're describing and to which I hundred percent agree with and think you said it perfectly. They believe that the pie is big enough, that there's enough pie there for everybody. And they're not in fear of, and, and there's other sort of motives or mindsets that people have. Like, I don't know, I probably come from a simpler place. I don't know if I even think about the pie as much as I do, perhaps as I think you're describing. Is that I just like helping people. I, I like seeing other people succeed. I don't, I, I won't say that I don't ever. If there's a strict competitor out there, I'll compete if I need to for a gig or whatever the case might be. But that's not what you're talking about. But it's the notion that, yeah, that the pie is big enough and that we want everybody to succeed. And so we don't need to approach this, as you just said, from a win-lose perspective. It can be win-win. As a matter of fact, there's a lot a lot to be argued about, a lot, to, a lot that you can argue that that cooperation and collaboration, the win-win mentality – that you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. All of those idioms, if you will, is the way to go. You know, I'll tell you, it does come down to your mindset. I, um, I, I am a capitalist. <laughs> I want to make money. I, I, I work hard. I try to compete, but it's not. It's not to the exclusion of peace and harmony. And helping other people and giving, those two things are not separate in my mind. I want to help other people. I care about other people. I believe in being a good citizen. So, it, you know, you don't have to have even some great big philosophy behind that other than, yeah, I like to make money, but I like to help other people too. And I think it's very important. I think it's incredibly important. And by the way, haven't we been seeing a little bit more of that with this whole pandemic? where people are tending to be a little bit more giving. Well, yeah. And that's going to lead me into my next, uh, what I was going to say is that, uh, yes, we, we, I mean, I don't, I don't have anything against living in, 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 in a capitalist, uh, system. All right. No, there's, there's good points to it. Uh, there's good points to, you know, there, there's good, 
there's always something that's good in socialism. There's something that's, you know, that works. There's something that works in communism. There's something that works in every one of these things. There's good things about it. The problem is, is that we, you know, instead of just taking everything that's good from the things that have been tried and blending it in and trying to work with that, that's a whole nother story. But yeah, well, and I will say real quick that one of the important things that I would bring out there to your point is that when you use words like capitalism, socialism, communism, they have very anymore. They have very strict connotations. And so. You know, I might say, yeah, I'm a capitalist and people like, oh, he's a capitalist pig. He means no. And socialism doesn't necessarily mean giving out everything to everybody and everything is completely equal all the time. So to your point, I think, especially when we're getting these kind of conversations, you kind of have to define a few things about, you know, like uh, whatever capitalism. So, so I mean, I, I hear what you're saying, you know, but, but people can't get confused by those terminologies. Yeah, no, I, I I get it. They're trigger words. Yeah. Um, They're trigger words. Yeah. So so let's put it in a different perspective. So we're all in a data driven society right now, right? Everything is about data. Everything is about you know what this is. This compile it. Let's figure it out. Let's let the numbers talk. Uh, and, and no different. There's data sets in every in every one of these uh societies, right, or systems. Yeah. And so I think that you know it wouldn't wouldn't be a bad idea to take a look at the data on all of them, see what works, what didn't work. And, you know, we're, we're at a point right now where there's going to be some, some major changes. Okay. Um, no doubt, you know, we're starting to see, uh, not that, not that it wasn't visible before, but people weren't awake to it before. All right. Of, of the system, how it's, uh, you know, kind of, it is, it is, it is unfair. It is an unfair, uh, uh, situation that, that we find ourselves in. I'm, I'm lucky. Uh, I have a, a decent job. I'm, I'm, I'm not hurting for anything. I don't feel like there's, there's, you know, inequality in my, in my wages. Yeah. But when you really start looking at everything that's happening and, and, you know, our elections, that process, the government, I mean, we're just, we're in a, we're in an old system. All right. That is not, that is not designed to uh, our technology and our, and our, and everything that we're doing is coming to is, is crashing and not, and it, it's not, uh, it's like uh, when you try to put a battery together and it, and it, and it, or a magnet and it just, it keeps, you know, trying to uh, separate itself. Well, there, you know, there's a, uh, there's, uh, there's a book I read several years ago. I'm trying to remember uh Deutschman is his last name. I just can't think of his first name. But it, it was about change, and he, he basically – well, the title was Change or Die. And he basically made that argument. And I think there is a huge silver lining with what's going on right now, Sean. It can't be – I don't think – I mean, there are plenty. I'm certainly not the only privileged one to have this thought. But there's, there's many who, who would probably say this and think this, that this, that there is a silver lining to this huge pandemic, and that is that – we were almost, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say this, I'm just going to say it, but, you know, there was almost, there's almost a, a silver lining or a blessing that this virus wasn't worse than it was. Imagine it being, let's say, at the level of an Ebola and, and having the, and, and being as contagious it is in the way that it is. So my point is, is that while, you know, I mean, I don't need to say that, anybody who, who lost a life or 
who is, you know, damaged through this thing. I mean, you know, I don't need to say that. That's, it's a sad situation. What I am trying to express here, though, is that this thing is big enough and it's bad enough to help us as individuals, as communities, and as a society to look at ourselves again and to say, okay, uh, this was bad. It could have been a lot worse. What are we going to do to not just protect ourselves from viruses and those sorts of things, but, uh, you know, for instance, I'll just say me, you know, I speak for a living. I do quite a bit of travel. You know, they're not having any meetings or conferences or anything like that anywhere. I am fortunate that I do a fair amount of, of coaching so I can still do what we're doing here. This is exactly how I coach. Yeah. Yeah. Have, having said that, um, there's no question that I'm reevaluating my own life, my work, how I'm doing things. And do I need to be better prepared for situations? So my point is, is that, which is what kind of change or die is all about, that I believe everybody, including communities and societies, governors and businesses, it would, if you want to talk about doing something in vain, this pandemic would certainly be in vain if people don't stop and step back and take another look and say, okay, how do we need to do this differently? What do we need to do to improve? What do we need to do to change? How do we survive something that might've been worse than this? I mean, one of the big keys here about the pandemic is what it did to it's again, beyond the, the obvious grief and the death of lives and those sorts of, so beyond that is, is what it's doing to the economy. You know, I mean, you, an economy, and, and I'm not an economist, so I don't even try to pretend to be, but I at least know enough that um, you go too far and it collapses and it's almost impossible to get out of, you see, or, or takes years upon years and decades to rebuild itself. So, so the point is, is that a lot of different things can cause that, though. Think about 9-11. 9-11 shut down the economy in a lot of ways shut down the airline business. So my, my my only point is I'm not trying to get too deep into this stuff. Just my only point is, is that I, I, I encourage everybody, you know, to take a look at their lives, how they do things, their business, their work, and all those things, and make sure that they use this very, very difficult time to make good changes in their life and at least reevaluate, say, okay, what do I need to do differently? Who do I need to take care of? You know, who do I need to help? Who, who, who can help me? I mean, all sorts of questions can come out of that. Yeah, yeah, uh, for sure. And where I was going to go before I went off into that land, uh, is to your, to your point where people are, are stepping up right now. Uh, A lot of the coaches that I know that I've been interviewing that, uh, I have interviewed, they're offering, uh, you know, free stuff right now. Like, you know, just like this, you know, not one on one, but you know, if you want to, like, I know one who's a yoga instructor, she's a, you know, does all these other things. And, you know, she has, she hosts a a free check-in and where we, you know, breathing exercises and and that type of stuff. And then yoga, beautiful. Yeah. Yoga, you know, you can join her to do yoga, uh, you know, and another guy he's doing other stuff. So, and that's, and that's, you know, great because on the back end of that, you know, you, that's going to be more helpful for you and your, when, when we come out of this, because people will see that, you know, it wasn't about the money for you. It was about, you that's know, right. you know what I mean? And, and, and you're going to gain a client more than likely. That, and, and if you don't, then you don't, but I mean, no, you don't, 
it doesn't have to be your motive, but it is a fairly natural consequence that comes out of giving is that people tend to trust you more. They appreciate you more and they tend to want to reciprocate. So, so I, I agree with you hundred percent. I sent out messages to a lot of people, including friends on Facebook, all sorts of people saying, listen, I'm a coach, you know, I'm a change and transition coach. I, I have done this work for 30 years. If I can help you, you, you know how to get a hold of me. And it's uh, it's just a pleasure to do that. And guess what? People have reached out to me as well. It's it's a beautiful thing, man. It really is. Yeah, and that's part of the reason why I just you know normally I wouldn't throw up a, a scheduling thing on there and just let people you know boom boom and 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 line them yeah. up like that. Like I've got you know yesterday I did seven. Today I'm doing six. I got wow. seven uh, scheduled for the twenty third and a couple for the twenty fourth. So within, within a two week time frame, you know, all in, you've done like 20 or, or 25 different, uh, interviews. And that's so people can get their, their message in their, you know, if yeah. you've got a book or something that can help that's in the personal development space, cause that's where we're all at right now. And absolutely. Uh, you know, hopefully you're doing what you said. Uh, you know, you're taking this time and you're using it wisely, um, to get things done that you've been putting off to, uh, not only, you know, around your house, but things that you've been putting off with yourself. And, and, Oh, that's a, that's a good point. You know, cause we, I, can, we, we can, we can find all kinds of different ways to avoid yeah. ourselves and, 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 yeah. you know, get involved in yeah. uh, home projects. But you know, the, the best way to <laughs> the best project that you can uh, take care of uh, for your home is yourself. Well, you know, and you know, this, the, the uh, I've lived in a lot of different places and, you know, one of the things that is clear to me about uh, the American society is that we we are moving at, and it depends, it, you know, faster in some places than others. It's faster, in, for instance, in, in California than it is, say, here in Tennessee. I mean, just different paces of living. Uh, you know, more more people create more more energy, more more pace and all that sort of thing. But I would also say, though, as a whole, generally speaking, that the the american society the american people we move way too fast and and well maybe even not too fast fast is not the point is is that we are constantly on the move that's really the point that i'm trying to make not so much the speed but the but the uh the 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 regularity of it is that we are always even as parents and i have to admit that my wife and i we kind of fell into this trap too that we raised two girls they're one graduated last year from college the other one's about to graduate this year well, when they were in high school, man, we uh, we kind of involved them in everything. You know, if there's something to do, let's go do it. I'm overstating that because we were conscious of it. But that is a that is a real tendency on a, on the part of a lot of parents. But beyond that, as people, you know, we work, we come home, we do this, we do that, we do this on the weekend. It's like you're constantly on the move. And I don't want to say that that in and of itself is bad. But the problem is, is that, and now, of course, with social media and, you know, a gazillion cable channels, what's happening is that our stimulation factor, our mind is in constant, constant stimulation mode. And so that's why you hear people, and I've been guilty of this as well, that go on vacation and spend most of their vacation working. So they don't consider, and I'm not here to judge. I mean, y'all you do what you want. I mean, but there's many people that go on a legit vacation down to Fort Lauderdale 
and they sit on the beach with their laptop and do work. And again, I'm not here to tell anybody what they ought to do. But my point is, is that that is the new way of doing things. And there are other people, as you well know, again, I know I've fallen into this category. I'm a little bit less that way now, but that I'll go on vacation or I might go somewhere, let's say vacation. It takes me at least a day, probably two days to settle down, to settle down and say, okay, Kevin, come on, dude, chill. You don't need to think about anything. Don't be worried. You don't need your laptop. Don't need to get on your phone. Just relax, step back, love your wife, love your kids, you know, pray, meditate, whatever, you know, whatever it is, but chill. And it's, and it's not what we do anymore in this society. You go over, I lived many years in Germany. You go over to Germany. It's not that way. It really isn't. Most of the central, particularly central European countries, they, um, man, when they go on vacation, they go on vacation for like 30 days. And I mean, they're gone. They don't. And when they're off, I'm not to say that they're not doing stuff or busy, but it's not the same way. You can you can go out to say around uh, some kind of a, a, a park somewhere or, or a forest area. And uh, man, people just strolling. I mean, I'm talking, and I am talking strolling, not running, not jogging, not biking, but just got their hands behind their back and just strolling, looking up, looking around. And, th- th- and I'm not, that's not like the exception. That's the way that it is. So again, I'm not so much trying to, 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 to make that comparison, but to say that, that, um, yeah, I guess I'm trying to say we need to slow down a little bit. And, 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 and but, oh, here, here's the point I was trying to make is that this thing, this pandemic, I think has caused people to step back a little bit. You I mean, got more time, you know, to reflect and to, to say, okay, what is important in life? You know, is it all that work I'm doing? Yeah. Well, and, and also too, I mean, you know, you're, you're, if you're in a, a, a bad marriage, um, this is, you either going to figure out whether, you know, th- this <laughs> is going to be the, the straw that breaks the camel's back. Either we're going to, you know, mm-hmm. get through this or, you know, when we're done with this, it's done. It's done. Um, or maybe we can fix it. Maybe we have time now to make, make, make this thing work. You know? Yeah. But you, you, you have most of the time you can just, you can just avoid it in your work. Uh, yeah, you know, exactly. your kids, uh, what, whatever the case may be. Yeah. But right now you, you can't avoid it. And that's the point. You're exactly right. You that know? is the point. And so that's, you know, I think a lot of good things are going to come out of this in, in that way. Um, the, the, the financial thing, that's just, that's, I have my own views on it. We're not going to talk about that. If you want to know, you can go to 29 and 28 episode and you can hear all about my silly rantings about it. Um, but for the most part, it is, we just got to, we, we have to figure out how to move forward mm-hmm. with everyone and, you know, great leaders, uh, don't lead. They bring people up around them to help them lead. You know what I mean? By, you know, you bring, you bring people up, you, you raise people up to the level of, of your leadership, you know what I mean? And to make them kind of like you. And if we had more of that, and I think, you know, people like myself doing what I'm doing, you doing what you're doing, uh, and, and a a whole host of other people, you know, thousands of them right now, are, are figuring out their place and, you know, how they can, how they can contribute. You got people making masks, uh, you know, everybody's, everybody's kind of like trying to figure out how they can help. Yeah. Well, that is the one thing that Americans are really, really good at. Uh, unlike any other country that I've been around. And I, again, I've, I've 
traveled extensively to more than 25 countries. And I mean, not just like sort of passed through, but spent some serious time there. And I don't know of uh, many countries that are better at rallying uh, behind the cause, you know, and Americans are really good at that, that when the stuff is down, man, uh, there's a lot of people that'll come, you know, jump on board and, and help you out. Just, just like you just said, even, even down to, to making masks. I mean, you think about the World War II, and I'm no history buff, but it was the same circumstance. You know, people rallied around this cause that they were, that we were going to stop, you know, this, uh, you know, this, you know, the Nazi movement and, and, and the, and the Japanese movement, if you will, but primarily the Nazi thing that, um, you know, and so, you know, the men went to war, volunteered, you know, jumped in, drafted, whatever, went to war. And the, and the women went straight into the factories, man, started building bombs and, and, and all these sorts of things. So, so the point is, is though, is that throughout the history of the United States, uh, we've, 9-11 was another thing, you know, people, people in the United States, man, that I, I have this deep appreciation for the ability to rally around a cause, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and to your point, good leaders develop good causes. You know, they, they, that's in my way of thinking that, that good leaders have to be visionary. They come up with a good vision about what, what they think and the people thinks that needs to happen and then inspires the people, to your point, to step up there and get behind that cause. You know, that's, that's a, a key point there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, what else here? There was something else I was going to say. You caught my attention on something, but I lost it. Um, you so, sound like me now. Yeah. What was your, so here's, here's something in here that that's an interesting question. Uh, you gave up, oh, your dream was being a musician. That's what you gave up on to go to the military. Yep. Um, and then you also, your, uh, your mother passed away when you were 16. Yep. What what was that like, man? Because uh, me and my mom are really close, and she's getting up there in age. But I don't I don't know what I would have done if she would have uh, if I didn't yeah. if I didn't have her. You know. Yeah, you know, obviously sixteen that was a long time ago, and um, but I, I can still remember. I think one of the keys is that <clears throat> my mother. Well, first of all. My mother, in, in my way of thinking, was at least in my world at the time, was a pretty unique individual. She was a Puerto Rican from the island, and uh, she, um, you know, and she existed a lot in an environment, you know, around Americans that she didn't, you know, she didn't, she didn't know the culture as well. You know, I mean, she again grew up on the island. That's where my dad met her, and and so I wouldn't say that she had a communication, you know, sort of a language problem because she did. Although she had a very, very thick accent. I used to, in fact, we were just uh, laughing the other day, my brothers and sisters and I, that that uh, friends would come over to the house and she would, you know, speak to them for a second. I mean, they'd look dead at me and say, what'd she say? I'm like, dude, you didn't understand that? She said, you know, how's your, how's your day going or something, whatever it was, you know. So, but but anyways, uh, so, but she was a very special person and um, and her and I were very, very close and she just... She essentially, she didn't have a heart attack. It was a very unique, uh, very unique, rare, rare condition that she had um, a respiratory. Re- and she woke up one morning and she, the phone had rang and she woke up and, and reached over to answer the phone. And she, it, it was a wrong number. And she, and I understand this from my sister who happened to be uh, sleeping with her at the time at that, that night. And uh, she hung the phone up and what, you know, had a respiratory attack and then died. I mean, pretty much instantly. 
And uh, you know, I'm almost getting goosebumps thinking about the the shock of it all that that I, I never forget. I don't know if I've ever said this, to be honest with you, Sean. I, I The thing that I remember the most is I heard a lot of yelling and I jumped out of my bed. We lived upstairs, or excuse me, I, I, I slept upstairs and my mother's room was downstairs and um, and I was running down the stairs. My sister was running up and she just screamed that, you know, you know, my, my mom is dead. And I, I, I mean, I just couldn't even like, I mean, I just woke up. I, I couldn't even process that. And so, uh, you know, the, the initial shock, of course, was incredible. Uh, but, but I think uh, that the part that, that, um, that I reflect on now the most is a couple of things. One, you know, each time a, a big event happens, uh, you know, it's something that I miss. I, I often wonder, so she'd be 84 now, you know, what she'd be like and, uh, and that sorts of things. And my wife, she's never met my wife, uh, or obviously her grandkids and those sorts of things. So, you know, but uh, I think like a lot of people, I live with these incredible memories. I really do. That's what stays in my head more than anything else. There are some very, very unique memories about her. I remember we when we used to go, like I said, we lived all around the world. And when we would come back to the States, uh, if we weren't living overseas, oftentimes it was back to Fort Bragg, North of Carolina, which is uh, a big military installation. Well, it's where the special forces headquarters is and my dad was special forces so it was kind of like you know every few years we'd end up coming back well my dad and had purchased a house a small house way back when and so we would rent it and then come back and live in it and go back so I had kind of two lives I had the life of living on military installations and being deep into the military and then we'd come back and not all the time, by the way, then sometimes we'd live in Rayford, the small town. It was a very small town. It was only like 2,000 people, very rural uh, town. And so we uh, we got to, know, if there was any place that we got to know people, it was in this small town because we kept coming and going. But it was always kind of like I would show up, you know, let's say in the sixth grade and people were like, where you been? You know, I was like, oh, well, you know, we went to Germany. What? Germany? Yeah, and come back then. We'd leave again. I'd come back in like the eighth or ninth grade. They saw like, dude, where you been? Or some people actually wouldn't even notice it. They were like, man, well, it seems like forever since I've seen you. I mean, it's only been a year. I was like, no, I've been gone for three years. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, you know, so, so the people were, you know, very, again, very rural, uh, very Southern, beautiful people there. But I remember people were very intrigued, you know, and, and we met most of these people by way of the church that we went to. But they were very intrigued by my mother, you know, because she was Puerto Rican and she had this thick accent. It was just very unusual. I mean, this was primarily, again, a rural, small town of primarily almost exclusively whites and then blacks. And we had a pretty actually big, pretty big African-American community there. But in any event, I remember like even affluent people would sometimes that that just, I don't know, took a liking to my mother for whatever reason. And we were just military people, you know. And I can still remember, I still hear it in my in my head where uh, I'll never forget her name. Her name was Doris Hostetler. She was, you know, she was from a very affluent family. Her, her husband was a lawyer and then a judge and mayor and all this kind of stuff. But she would just stroll up on her bicycle on a Saturday morning and we I'd be in the kitchen and my mother might be. And all of a sudden from outside of the house, like right by the kitchen, I'd hear this 
I'd hear this uh, voice go, Nareda, which was her name, Nareda, Nareda. And it was just the most beautiful sound. And then my mother would go out there and uh, they would have this conversation. And I was just a beautiful thing. It kind of means nothing, but it was just a a, a beautiful thought that popped into my head. So um, anyways, you know, the, the point that you bring up there in part about my mother passing away, the book that I wrote, The Gap Between Two Worlds, is on major life change and transitions. And it's one of the things that I highlight in the book. Uh, I, I highlight that as a, a big, uh, you know, a, a big sort of a pivot point in my life that caused a lot of obvious change and transition that, of course, many, many people uh, experience. The other thing was the constant change, the constant move of being in the military for almost 40 years. I mean, literally two, three, four. I think one time I stayed five years in a place, but you know, and I'm not talking about just moving around the States. I've lived in pretty much all four corners of the States, lived in Germany several times, lived in Puerto Rico, lived in Israel, lived in California. I think I told you twice, actually. And, uh, you know, Texas, Massachusetts, Georgia, North Carolina, just the list goes on. And the point is, is that I, I, you know, I, I recognize that this part of my life was not I don't even know if I could call it change and transition anymore. It's just the way that I live. When I got out of the military and moved from California, I told you from from Travis Air Force Base, which is right there by Vacaville and Fairfield, as you well know. Yeah. Moved from there to Tennessee to a smaller town just outside of Nashville. And it was the first time that I'd ever settled down in my life. And I'm 40 years old at the time. And uh, man... I try to tell people that was like moving to China without any preparation because I knew nothing about the private sector settling down. I mean, when two years came around, it was like, we got to do something, you know, but I, uh, you know, I held my horses and, <laughs> and, and we stayed and we do, we do really, really like it here. But the point is, is that after I got out of the air force, which is one, the one that I consider the biggest and greatest transitions of my life, frankly, because I had just lost my way. I, I got out and had this honeymoon period. I'm, I'm going to go out there and, and conquer the world as a consultant and speaker and personal growth specialist and all these sorts of things. And But I didn't have a clue about <laughs> running a business or even living without a structure of the, of the military. And and about a year into the process, you know, I, I sunk into a pretty doggone dark place, a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety. And I'm talking about the type that put me on my back. You know, I started, ended up with these bulging discs and pain all up and down. I mean, literally, I couldn't move. And then, of course, that physical pain exacerbated my mental pain. And then my mental pain, and it just became this vicious cycle. And uh, after about a couple of months of that, my, my wife, I, I say, you know, for me, I won't turn this into religious conversation, but for me, it was a, a good wife and a good God, you know, made me start reevaluating my life at that point because, you know, I realized that um, that I had gotten myself into this place where I got seriously stuck, and which is what the book is really about. Stuck, not understanding what to do. Because my emotions took over, my anxiety, my depression. And so what happened is my wife began to encourage me to go out and start journaling about this. I mean, because I was just hunkered down, you know, in a, in a overly stated, but in a fetal position, man. I just, 
couldn't move. I, I, was, I didn't know what to do. I cried. I just felt a lot of loneliness and pain and, and hopeless. And that's all that, all that kind of stuff that you've heard before. So she really encouraged, she started really studying depression. And one of the things she did, she encouraged, she said, Kevin, uh, I want you to go out this morning and I want you to take your laptop and go to Panera Bread or Starbucks or whatever and just start typing. I was like, type what? She was like, just type whatever you're feeling. Just there, you don't have to, you don't have to start anywhere. Just start it. And essentially she was encouraging me to journal. And I started doing that. And I did it for about a month. And first of all, lo and behold, it helped a lot. Why? I was getting that stuff out of my head for starters. And it was starting to put, you know, starting to, now you have to remember, Sean, at this point, I had been involved in personal development, change and transition for years. And I couldn't get myself out of this pickle. I mean, it was, but it didn't dawn on me at the time. But what what happened is as I started journaling and just talking about how I was feeling, the problems I was running into, the things that I was afraid of and all this kind of stuff, I was also at the same time unknowingly coaching myself. I was using the stuff that I had learned that I didn't even know I had learned on, again, personal development, whatever, whatever it is, you know. So after about 30 days of doing that, I started feeling better. And I remember one day I had finished typing and I put it on a jump drive. I went across the street to this office supply place, asked them if they'd print it out. Man, I took back this big thing that I had been typing for 30 days and I took it to my wife and I printed it out, took it to her. I said, I said, yeah, I just, you know, I, I was thanking her for, for really helping me and making me do that. And I said, here's what I've been basically writing about. And so she, that day she, she read it at least most of it. And uh, the next morning I said, so what'd you think? She said, Kevin, you know, you've been forever talking about writing a book. And there it is right there. She said, you're not just talking about how you feel. You've, and she was really one that kind of alerted me. She said, man, you put some stuff in there that I don't even know where that came from, but it, it can help a lot of people. And that's when I started actually writing the book. So all of that to, to, uh, to make a long story shorter, (laughs) Uh, comes down to what you just said. All of this change and transition in my life has, uh, and I'm not trying to pitch my book. I mean, it, 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 but the point is, is that all of that, you know, uh, yielded a book, you know, that, that was not only cathartic, but, you know, hopefully helps people as well, uh, with, with their own change and transition. And I will say real quick that what is most relevant right now for, uh, you know, people who are listening that might be interested is, is understanding. So the gap between two worlds, Sean, represents something fairly simple. And there's a lot of, matter of fact, uh, William Bridges, who is out there in your area, well, he passed away a few years ago, but he was like the, you know, he was like the, um, like the, uh, you know, the God of change and transition. He wrote a bunch of books on change and transition. He's really one of the icons in that world. He's right out there in the San Francisco area. His, His wife still lives there. I think in Nevada, if I'm not mistaken, um, but in any event, um, what's important for your listeners to know now is that the gap between two worlds represents this. There's the old world and there's the new world. Okay, so here's where you are or where you were, and here's where you're going. In between that is the gap. And the gap is the transition. And that that's what people need to be conscious of right now is that they are in the gap. Whatever they're doing, things have changed and they're in transition. And the problem is, especially with this type of pandemic that has no history behind it, it's new to all of us. We're trying to sort out, okay, exactly what's that new world going to look like? 
And so what I like to say to also express that metaphor is that the gap is what we call the in-between place. And I encourage listeners and anybody I talk to about change and transition is to first and foremost, recognize that you're in the in-between place and not to get stuck there. There's an old, I mean, Winston Churchill had a, had a, had a saying where he said, if you, if you find yourself in hell, keep moving. And that's my advice to people is that you're in an in-between place. Uh, it can be scary. It can be unknowing because you don't really know what's going to happen. I mean, imagine a person who lost their job. Imagine even more a person who completely shut their down their business and no real hope on striking that business back up. You see, their old world was their business and the new world is what? And so my point to them is, one, you're in the gap. There will be a foggy place, what I call the foggy zone. It's in the middle. It's very cloudy. It's very disorienting. It's very uh, frightful. It's all these sorts of things, frustrating. And what I say is one is to keep moving. Don't get stuck. Don't let your mind conquer you um, and yield you incapable of thinking your way through this. And you can. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a good, well said. Thank you. Uh, I, I also think that right now is a good time, uh, for people, you know, we're all, we're all in isolation. Uh, and that, yes. that means a lot of different things. Um, that means, I mean, for people that are addicts out there, mm. that's a, that's what they crave. They crave isolation so they can get away from everybody to, to continue yeah. being stuck in their sickness and, and, and whatnot. And, good point. I just want to encourage everybody out there that if you are in a situation where you are isolated and you don't have, you know, you're not, you're not, uh, being with people or, you know, even reaching out and communicating with people, figure out a way, uh, figure out a way to engage with, uh, folks, whether it's, you know, and, and if you can't find any groups that you can, you know, jump on, uh, you know, doing, uh, zoom chats or zoom meetings, or, you know, there's a lot of Facebook groups out there that you can probably find something at. And if nothing else, be the one that does it on your own. I mean, you get it free. Uh, if you, if you download zoom, you get free 40 minutes, uh, for three people, or you don't have man. to have a, where you don't have to have a membership. Be that leader, man. That's yeah, right. Start it, you know, be, be the one that starts it. You know, a lot of times when you, you want to do something, you can't find it. The, the, the best way to do it is just do it yourself. You know, don't be afraid. You, you got to learn somehow. And so we've got connection there. All right. So connection yes. and then meaning. All right. What, what is one thing that, uh, you know, and, and it goes to, you said you were getting all these ailments and stuff when you were depressed, you, you, were, you lacked connection, you lacked meaning, meaning you didn't, you, your, your mindset, you didn't have anything. Completely. You, yep. Lost my way, buddy. Yeah. You didn't have anything that you were aspiring to do. You, mm -hmm. you were, you were searching for meaning, but hadn't found it yet. And then once you found that meaning in your life, the thing that, that made you want to have to get up the next day and continue on, that is, uh, 
what helps to pull people out. So you got connection, meaning, and, and then just, uh, drive, you know, uh, that's, and, and keep putting, you know, being, stay in motion. Stay in motion. Start. It's very, very important. You know, it, you're, you're so right about that. And that's part of the process of moving through the gap and trying to get out of the, the stuck place, the in-between place, the, primarily the foggy zone. And that is, is using what I call your powers to be that we, I mentioned earlier that many of us have no idea about our own potential. And one of the things that these sorts of events or frankly, any, any struggle, any friction in your life and you know, there's opportunity there. And one of the opportunities is in fact to exercise your powers. And so one power to your, you know, basically piggybacking on your point is the power to, I know this is going to shock you, but the power to think, the power to visualize, the power to ask questions. So to your point, and, and by the way, yeah, if you're isolated, it's very difficult, but this is what coaches do. And you don't have to have a coach to do this, but if you were a close friend of mine and I felt really isolated and felt like, I had really kind of lost my way about anything. It doesn't matter. Let's say I lost my job. I'd call you up and say, Sean, I I would, with the knowledge that I have now as a coach, I would do this. I would say, Sean, man, I lost my job. I think I told you a couple of weeks ago and I'm just stuck, man. I can't even think straight anymore. You know, can you just help me think? You see where I'm going with this? Yeah. And, and, and you get it. And you're like, okay, well, what are you stuck on, Kevin? And and so that immediately provokes that question itself, starts the conversation and starts the thinking. And then the process of us, of what I call masterminding or, or uh, collaborating in this discussion and you helping me out, you're helping me think through this. And that, but, but see, that's the, these are powers that we have that are right in front of us. I mean, they're just there. Yeah, some people think better than others. Some people can visualize better. I get all that, but it's not exclusive to one individual. And if you're not a good thinker or if you are too freaked out in your head, you do exactly that. You call up Sean and say, Sean, man, my head is just all over the place. I can't seem to settle down. Can you just talk me through this a little bit? Help me get out of my own head. I mean, that's a power, (laughs) you know, power of relationships. There's so many powers that we have but we don't exercise them. And you brought out such an incredible point. And that is that perhaps like addicts, there are also people that when they get into this position of like the pandemic or losing a job or a whole host, you know, their, their, their spouse leaves them. I don't care what it is that they clam up. They, they go into isolation. They don't, they don't want to tell anybody they're embarrassed or it could be all kinds of things. I'll be honest with you. I'm completely opposite. And part of this is because of my own, I guess my own knowledge that I've garnered through this is you can, you know, I got a handful of really close friends and any one of them will tell you, yeah, Kevin will call me in a heartbeat and say, help me think this out. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that's great. Mm -hmm. And, you know, cooperation. I mean, that's, that's how we, that's how we, the United States or, or, you know, or actually, actually a humanity has gotten to where it has is our ability to cooperate. 
yes with one another and exchange ideas and work on a project and okay here we go you know uh and there, there's that's there's no uh it's not a mistake you know it's it's a, and it's not a coincidence either and that's a power too isn't it though the power to cooperate and collaborate yep for sure i deal with people all the time in corporate america and organizations that you know and again this is part of that program that I was telling you about, uh, you know, get the edge for, for young people is teaching them how to be collaborative. You know, how do you, how do you be a good team member? Yeah. No. Yeah. I was talking to uh, a guy uh, down in Texas just before the the interview that I'm going to have to call him up and say, Hey, we need to do it again because (laughs) my, 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 my end uh, technology broke down on me. Yeah. My technology uh, screwed you. Um, But uh, what was I going to say? Uh, damn it. I lost it. Oh, well. And you're starting to sound more and more like me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, top- the, I'm notorious. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I'll have a, a thought and it'll just, it'll just go. Oh, there. I know what it is. It was, uh, uh, he's a, he, he has a podcast network. So it's like everybody, mm-hmm. he's a, he's a coach and he's into, uh, you know, varsity blues. You know, if you think about that, how Texas football is, uh, you know, high school football. And he's mm-hmm. a big part of that with all the, he knows a lot of the coaches and everything else. And so he had this, nice. he started this network podcast network. And so anything that has to do with Texas and you have a podcast, whether you're a podcaster in Texas, whether you have a podcast that's about Texas and you're not from Texas, anything that has to do with it, he's got in this network. Wow. And I was thinking, I was like, you know, and I'd thought about this before, uh, is building building a community uh a network myself uh but i like i i don't i don't have the know how to do any of that i just have i i have a lot of ideas but but the, not but the know how isn't there of of where i understand to, that where, where to go you know what i mean how mm-hmm. to put the pieces together yeah uh but having a network uh in the personal development space where you have you know a number of different uh people that are in this network of yours you know, whether it's, uh, you know, cause there's a lot of different aspects to, to coaching, personal development coaching. Um, you know, you've got the financial end of it. You've got, uh, the mental end of it. You've got psychology that's in it. And all of that goes in, in into, into building your ideal you. You yes. know what I mean? All, all, there's all these pieces that are in this space that you have to touch on, uh, if you want to be, you know, successfully, you know, transform yourself. You mean as a coach or a person being coached? I suppose both. You know. uh, um, what do you mean? But but I'm saying that, you know, that these components that you're talking about, are you talking about a person that is, is trying to become a coach or a person that's being coached to be transformed? Well, no, all these people, like somebody that, that it's like a one-stop shop. You know what I mean? Oh, I see. They, they, so you created this network, right? You've got your authors in there. You've got, you know, your, your coaches, you've got, uh, you know, whatever it is, fitness people that are in there. You've got other, you know, I see, you know, anything that has to do with, with your, your health. Oh, very interesting. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. You know, but in like more of a holistic, uh, yeah, a holistic way you'd have, yeah. you know, you'd have marijuana people that are in there that are on the CBD side and, wow. and talking about their stuff. You've got the THC people that, you know what I mean? Cause that helps too. I mean, I think that, you know, I, I, I'm a consumer of, uh, edibles. Then I used it to get off of, uh, 
uh, a seven year opiate addiction. And that was after I was addicted to meth for 15 years. Are you serious, man? Uh, oh yeah, yeah, for sure. I I knew. I mean, I knew that a little bit about you, but I didn't know it was fifteen years, man. Wow. I should have sent out the one where I was a uh, the the story where I was a guest on somebody else's uh, uh, podcast, and that I'd love one to hear it. that one actually takes you through uh, the craziness of my life, like as far as like the criminality of it. Uh, some some instances where you know. I get into, you know, when I got raided and how that was, uh, you know, wow. Uh, 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 what else are I doing? Um, you've been around the block a little bit, haven't you? Yeah. I mean like do, uh, uh, forging fraud and forgery was one of my, one of my big things. Uh, and then also counterfeiting. I was involved in that as well. Counterfeiting money. And so, I mean, there, the, it's, I- yeah, it, it was, it was, a, it was, it was a, I went back and listened to it the other, the other day because I was sending it, I was going to send that in with the other one. And I was like, after I listened to it, I was like, you know, you should probably just be sending this one out because it's, you'd actually had a little bit more experience on the mic because my first one, yeah. that was my first attempt at doing this at all. Wow. One, and it, it was one take. That was it. I, I didn't, yeah. I didn't have to do a bunch of them. I just did it one time and, and, and put it out there. I don't want to take over your show, but I, but I have to tell you, I'm just curious as all get out. What turned you around? What was it that turned you around? Uh, I mean, it was a, it was a culmination of different things. Uh, mostly it was just, I, I was, I was just tired of being a piece of shit. Oh, wow. You know? Um, yeah, I, I wasn't, uh, you know, I started thinking about how old I was. I mean, my, my early thirties, you know, and, I was like, you know, it, it's, and I'd already been to prison, you know? So when I got out, I, I, I maintain, I towed the line for a little bit, but I, I still had things I wanted to accomplish. I still, I mean, it, and it's funny to, to say that as like, I still had criminal activities that I knew that were out there that I wanted to do and I wasn't done. And I, I, I found him, I found what I wanted and, you know, manifest it you you know the secret wow yeah yeah <laughs> it works it doesn't matter what it just depends on what where you put the energy at you know you can use yeah. it for good you can use it for bad i was always told from my when i was a, a kid from my grandfather he's like you know you you're you're a leader and unfortunately i chose to use that in the wrong way you know, I had people that I was leading, but I was leading them into doing criminal activities and, and other stuff that, that was, you know, for my gain and you know, yeah. manipulation and, you know, just being a, a person that I didn't like. And I think that's what it really came down to. You know, I just would look in the mirror and I didn't like what was looking back at me. Uh, that's powerful stuff, man. Yeah. And then I had all of these other things and it's like, it's, I was like the Tasmanian devil when, I, if I came into your life. That's exactly what I was going to do to it. Were you a mean dude? Uh, I could be. Um, I when I when I get drunk, if I go past a certain point, I go to the dark side. And with uh, with meth, it was it was something different, and that's how that's where I realized I was ADHD because most tweakers, um, when they get on it, they've got a thousand things that are that are around them that are unfinished you know they start a project and it and they can't finish it for me it was like you remember that um 
remember that Bradley Cooper movie, No Limits? Oh, yeah. Love that movie. That's exactly what meth was like for me. Wow. Okay. So I would, I would take it and then I would nonstop be on the computer trying to figure something out, whether it was how to, how to exploit, uh, vulnerabilities in, in, in systems with credit card, with credit cards and, and identity theft. Um, and I would, I would literally go for three days straight, not eating, not hardly, not sleeping until I crashed. And then I would wake back up and continue until I finished wow. it. And so. That's where I realized that, that that was that. And so, I mean, for me, a lot of the, a lot of my experiences weren't, weren't bad. You know what I mean? They were, I see. they were, they were fun. And it, you know, and, and when I wasn't high, I couldn't do those kind of things because I wasn't interested in it, you know? So, and, and it also, it was really easy for me to, to, uh, I'm getting off a little bit and I'll, I'll, I'll make it back around to your question. Um, so for me, identity theft is what I ended up doing, uh, in the end. And I found, uh, I found comfort there. And Interesting. the reason why I found comfort there is because when I grew up, when I was a kid, I got teased a lot about being as dark as I am because I was in a, a an all white neighborhood. Well, not all white, but I mean, the majority of it, you know what I mean? And I was smaller and younger. And so. I would get teased about, you know, being a Mexican and, and all these other things. And I believe is around, I was born in 73. So around that time would probably be the time where Harry Anslinger started talking about or, or the, the tail end of, you know, Anslinger and the Mexican reefer madness and all that stuff. And so, uh, I was, uh, I didn't like who I was. And so through stealing somebody's identity, I could be whoever I wanted. Wow. That's crazy. I never thought about it that way. You know, so, it, and I, I could, I, it didn't have to be in me anymore. You know, I could be whoever's identity I, I, I took over and credit cards that I was getting issued in, in, in their name because I was able, I, I'd figured out how to, you know, get around some of the security questions or, you know, if I had to, and I'm not going to say how I did it because I don't want to give anybody any ideas about how to do it, but I just figured out how to do some stuff. And, uh, so it was very comforting for me to do that. And it was exciting and, you know, but I mean, it's not, it wasn't real. <laughs> right. And it took a, it, it took having to be on, on meth for me to be able to do that because I mean, I, not that I ever saw anybody that I was, you know, whose identity that I stole or, you know, knew of any of the things that I would do. And I would always justify it because whenever you, we, we would use these things or do these things, the, the banks would catch it way before the, the victim would even know. And so, I mean, there might be a little bit of, uh, uh, uh what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, inconvenience to them. Uh, and not to make light of it because I'm sure everybody's situation is different. That's experienced something like that. Some of these, some people, you know, are horrible experiences when they get their identity stolen. Yeah. Um, are the, and you know, it was bad no matter what, but I'm just going to leave it at that. Cause it really sounds like I'm justifying it. <clears throat> no, 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 no. I hear you. I, I, I get it. Uh, yeah. and so there was just a lot of that and I'd manipulated people from the time I was, uh, that I can remember, you know, everybody, everybody had, had a served a purpose to me, you know? And I mean, to the point where I didn't even, uh, 
like I think about all the relationships that I was in and, you know, the people and it's like, I love myself. I didn't love anybody else. I didn't even know what love was until I had a kid. And, and that taught me what, what love was and and because of that feeling, you know what I mean? That that you have for your children. And I mean, it, it caused me to go, well, God, you know, thinking back on it, I mean, this is really what love is and this is what it's supposed to feel like and that you'd be willing to do anything for that person. I, I don't think I've been there with another human being with the opposite sex. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of, but you have to be willing to look at that, Yeah. you know, and, and, and take your own inventory of, of bad behavior. Yeah. You know, cause we all have something, you know, we all have something that we do that, you know, we wish that we didn't. Uh, and so it was just a culmination of a bunch of different things, timing, uh, uh, I was getting ready to have to go do a, uh, a violation because I'd gotten into trouble. Uh, I was lucky. I didn't get catch any new charges, even though I got arrested for, uh, doing some bad stuff still. Uh, and it was just time. And I, I, other, that's the only way I, I I don't know. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, yeah, I mean, ultimately, it sounds like you, you, you know, I guess they say he hit rock bottom. You know, you just like, man, it's got to be something better than this. You know? Yeah, but I mean, you would have thought that prison was rock bottom. You know, you would, you, I, I would think, yeah. You know, you would, you yeah. would have thought that all that yeah. every, I've almost died a number of different times. You know, from ODs to uh, accidents, uh, car wrecks. Um, here's one. I. uh when I was living in uh, uh, Vegas, my ex, my, my, my first daughter's mom who had my rights terminated after this incident, um, she had gone to California to go visit her family. And my daughter's about, I would say maybe a year old, 12 months old, uh, no, 12, no, 14 months, a year to 14 months. She goes back to uh, Fairfield. Her parents are from, Fair, from Fairfield. She goes back there, takes my daughter, leaves me with her car. Uh, doesn't tell me that she left the insurance lap on it. Right. So I go out and it's a Friday night. It's a, a Christmas Eve, right? Uh, in Vegas, it does, that, that shit doesn't matter. There's clubs right. that are still open, you know, right. so I, I went to a nightclub. I was taking at the time GHB. Uh, I don't know if you know what that is. It's one mm-hmm. of the date rape drugs, but bodybuilders use it. And, I and so I, I was taking that. And somehow I remember leaving the rum jungle at uh, Mandalay Bay and I vaguely remember going over the overpass down Flamingo Boulevard or Flamingo Road. And then the next thing that I remember, uh, I hit a telephone pole or a light pole. Oh, All right. So I, I, I tacoed. So, I mean, right into it, right? Dead straight in the center of the, of the, the thing. And the, 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 the pole, bam, tacoed the top of it. Right. I don't, I don't, I wasn't wearing any, uh, any, uh, seatbelt, I don't believe or anything. Um, I popped right out of it. Oh, I, I jumped right out of the car, out of the, out of the truck or, or her SUV and I'm staring at it and I'm going, holy shit. What the, and, and that's crazy. Yeah. Well, that's not even the craziest part. Okay. The craziest part is, is that, I, I walked across the street as if nothing happened to the 7-Eleven, got a, went and bought a Gatorade, 
the lady that's behind the counter is just like looking at me going, Oh, like, what the fuck? You just came from that. And now you're, you're buying Gatorade and she sold it to me. (laughs) And then I walked back over there. I went into the, I got right back into the, the, into the SUV because I knew I'd left my drug, the GHB in there, took another capful. That's how my mentality was. Okay. And so that's not the end of it. I blacked out again and I wake up in front of a drive through, uh, and this was in the morning. So nothing was open really. Right. It had just turned, turned light. So it's probably like six, maybe seven o'clock in the morning. So the next place I'm at is I'm right in the, uh, uh, in a drive through right down the street. I'd walked there, blacked out and I'm standing there just like, stand like nodding and moving back and forth. I don't know how I'm not falling, but I'm not conscious. And I got my bearings after I woke up there and I went and looked around and I'm like, Oh shit, where's the, where's the, where was I at? Wow. And I see the, uh, I see the SUV and it's being loaded up on a, uh, on a, uh, uh, a tow truck, right? Flatbed or whatever. Yeah, flatbed. And so it's right there. And I caught the dude right before and I'm, Oh, wait, 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 that's mine. And I ran over there, grabbed the bottle again, took another cap and blacked out again. This time when I came to, I was inside the liquor store, which had I, had I went this much further to the left or this much further to the right of that telephone pole would have ran me right into that liquor store through it. So I go in there and blacked out again and I'm in front of the porno display doing the same thing. This time the cops come in. Cause by this time they, they, they're, they showed up on the scene, right? And the ambulance and everything else. They think that I've had a head trauma because of, you know what I mean? Just, just like, yeah. like I'm dazed. They can't smell any alcohol on me. They don't know what, what, the, what I'm on. Uh, when they're leading me up to the, uh, to the, into the, uh, the ambulance and I come to again and I'm like, and like, oh, and I start like this and they're like wrestling me into the, into the, the deal. And, uh, yeah, they leave the ambulance driver's taking me to the hospital and he's like, dude, quit bullshitting. What the fuck are you on? And I'm like, I don't know nothing. He's like, dude, you're not going to get in trouble. Trouble's already gone. And, uh, yeah, so I told him. And then as soon as I got there, I I jammed, but wow. Do you want to know how much that cost? I'm scared to ask. $98. That was the ticket that I was issued for that. $98 from the state to, for the, for the repair or the replacement of that, that light pole. Wow. So, I mean, there is nonstop stories like that in my life of where that wasn't the end. (laughs) You know what I mean? That didn't, that didn't wake you up. Either you got nine lives or somebody was looking out for you. (laughs) No, it was somebody was looking out for me for sure. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, whether, I don't know what it is, uh, you know, but there's a lot of instances like that where I, I almost, you know, it, it, I could have died and I can count at least five of them. So yeah, uh, you know, it, 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 it takes what it takes. I just hope that, uh, that people, that was a lot to go through. I mean, that was literally 15, 15 years of my life of just chaos. Just, just imagine a, uh, a Tasmanian devil, 
rolling around for 15 years. And then finally it's wow. like you run out of gas and you're like, ah, I'm, I'm done ruining everybody else's life along alongside mine. That's, that's mind blowing. What yeah. a, you know, what a story. Yeah. You know, really. What a, what a testimony that I've not even heard, uh, <clears throat> you know, probably close to the full well, story. No. And, and it's, I try, I try to, I, when I try to think about it, I, in a lot of ways, it felt, I feel like I was possessed by something, you know, because I couldn't escape it. And no matter how hard I tried, I mean, I had good intentions, but they just got corrupted. They would get corrupted by something, you know, whether yeah. it was lack of discipline from being a latchkey kid and, and not having any, any, uh, Nobody telling me yes or no discipline thing that you're talking about. Um, the kind of self-esteem that I was gaining was, was through hurting people, you know, yeah. or getting over on people or, you know, getting over on the system, which is, Oh yeah, but it's nothing you can take with you. Right. You know what I mean? You can't put that on a piece of paper and, and have it mean anything. Yeah. You know? you know, and you know this much better than I do. Um, uh, that you're probably one of the lucky ones or the blessed ones, however you want to put that, that you actually came out of this. I mean, there are probably untold number of people that never escaped that, never, you know, never saw the light of day, either because they died or ended up in prison their, their entire life, or they're just still like that, or they're homeless or whatever it is. I mean, that's pretty compelling. And it just, it seems to me, well, you know, I, I can't help but to go here as a, as a personal development coach and, and frankly, as a, as a, as a spiritual, a spiritual man as well, is that, you know, again, uh, I'll just say it, you know, and you can decide if you want to edit it out. But for me, I think something like that, that, you know, one, God is trying to tell you something and God needs to use you, use you for something. And that's just my perspective. So I'll just leave it at that. That's what I think though. Well, I mean, God, God universe. I mean, it's all the same thing. You know, it, it's, it's just a package that we put. So I use universe and that's the package that I have to use to be able to wrap my head around the whole God thing. You know, yeah. I, it, I have a, I have a, I have a, I have a block when it comes to uh, religion and, and God. Understand. All right. Yeah. Uh, but when I put it in the context of universe and energy, you know what I mean? And, and universe if, may take the place of God and energy or energy takes the place of God and universe takes the place of religion. However I do it, you know, that's yeah. what works for me now. And I don't knock anybody yeah. that, that, you know, subscribes to religion or that I yeah. just, I, I have a, I have a problem with it because everything that, that man touches, he corrupts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but you, you're, but you're distinguishing there in, in my way of thinking. And a lot of people are sort of veering away from there, even, even very, uh, even very sort of, uh, uh, you know, people that, you know, are, are, extraordinarily religious a lot of people are getting away from this are trying to are are separating the two concepts of religion versus spirituality and i'm, I'm talking about even christians I, I know plenty of people that are 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 very uh are, are very dedicated christians 
but they're not all that keen to religion for exactly the point that you just made is that man there there is an innate innate thing about man that wants to do it man's way and so once that happens then man can corrupt things so a lot of people are distinguishing the difference between the religion and the spiritual aspect and i would say that i do the same thing i i I'm okay with religion because I believe religion is man-made, but it's just a structure that you built to help you carry out your spirituality. I don't really see it much more than that. I mean, it's not any different in my way of thinking uh, to call, you know, there's the church and then there's a church. You know, a church is just a building. It's Mm. it's a building. It's not any more than that. But the church in a, in a spiritual, in a biblical state is the, is the people. You see, so, you know, it depends on how you look at it. But, but uh, you know, I see it a little bit differently, maybe even a lot differently. I'm not sure. Uh, you know, I, I believe, you know, same thing like science. Uh, I believe, of course, I believe in science. I believe in energy. <laughs> you know, that's science. I believe the, you know, the universe. I believe in all of that stuff. I just happen to believe that that's what God created for us to exist within. And and that's the distinction that I make. I don't, you know, people, I, I don't really get into fights about yeah. religion or spirituality. I just don't. I, I, I um, you know, I, I profess what I believe and everybody can believe whatever they believe. But, you know, but for instance, when people want to argue, you know, science versus religion, I'm like, dude, I, I mean, anybody that doesn't believe in science is kind of foolish. I mean, just, you know, jump from a forestry building, you'll see what, how science works. My only point is that, you know, all you're doing when you explain science is, Again, this is my way of thinking. You just explain what God created. That's all. It's all there. You know, it's all fundamentally there. You know, even the thing, if you want to call it the secret, um, I believe in that. But again, to me, it's all part of the spiritual component that God created. It's not something separate from that. It's just that, as you well know, depending on who you ask, they explain this. You know, you go read the book, The Secret, which it was a fascinating book, and I read it and I listened to the to the CD and all that kind of stuff. But uh, you can kind of explain the secret in about five minutes. It's not, it's not really that mystical. It's pretty practical, you know, quite frankly. You know, it's just a manifestation of your thoughts, you know. Or your energy. And, and, and the energy you put into it. That's exactly right. So if, if, if I wanted to say something like, you know, if, if I, and in fact, I do explain this way in a very practical sense. So it, this is, again, this is overly simplistic, but it's the most simplest form of, of, of the secret. Hmm. I'm hungry. Thought, right? Um, you have to act on a thought, right, to make it happen. So you're going to manifest it. I'm going to go get something to eat. And you go get something to eat. I mean, that, it, again, I, I grant you it's oversimplification of it, but it's still the same principle as, as the secret, manifesting your thoughts. Yeah, you well, usually usually when you're, when you're trying to uh, – when. Uh, Let's let's just use uh, putting a, a podcast, putting making a podcast. Right? You say that, that's what I'm going to put as my goal. I want to make a, a podcast. I'm going to manifest this this yeah. uh, uh, this amazing thing for myself. Okay. Well, what do you do when you you know you're 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 constantly putting thought into it? You're thinking about it. You're thinking about it. You're researching it. You're finding this. You're finding that. You're getting your pieces. You're putting them together. Uh, you're but your antenna. And, and, and the signals that you're putting out there, you're hyper aware of what it is that you're doing. You got it. You know that's what I mean? It. And so you're, you're able to, so any, anything that that's coming in at you, 
you're able to you're taking notice of it yeah you know and but we have opportunities that we 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 you know miss out on all the time when we're not paying attention to things you know whether it's it's you know, listening to somebody that's talking about something that, that is in the same area that you are and, and using that opportunity as a, as an in to, to start a conversation and find out a little bit more about that person that's in that, that had that keyword podcast come out of his mm-hmm. mouth. Mm-hmm. And now you've, Oh, okay. What podcast? What, what did, what did you say? Let's talk about this. Yeah. <laughs> but if you weren't thinking about podcasts, somebody would say podcasts and you would just not even, you don't even notice it. Yeah. It's almost it's almost like when you buy a when you buy a car, okay? All of a sudden now you notice every single car like that. Yeah, That's you like buy this. the car thinking I'm going to buy it because it's unique. I never see it around and then suddenly it's everywhere. Yeah, then you then you're, you're taking notice that that car yeah. now is yeah. uh, every time you see yeah. one, oh, hey, yeah. look at there's a blue one. Oh, yeah. there's a silver one. <laughs> you know, the other component to that is the the is the concept of your of your subconscious, you know, that and again, I don't, I don't separate this from what I believe in God, but that be, because your subconscious was designed to do this. So as you well know, pretty much, much of our, uh, of what we do, even as I'm moving my hands here, my subconscious is making that, that happen because it's what I've learned to do. And so your subconscious actually, you know, runs your life. So then you have to, Ask the question, what is in your subconscious? And and if you ask what is in your subconscious, then you have to ask, how did it get there? And if you if you if it got there through all your senses and now runs the way that you do things, including your habits and your thoughts and all those sorts of things, then of course the whole notion with even with the secret law of traction, all those sorts of things, comes down to this: that what you think and believe causes you to behave in certain ways. And therefore, what you do, i.e. behaviors, creates the results that you get in, in, into your, in your life. And so if, if that's true, what you, what you do flows out of what you see and what you get flows out of what you do, then logic suggests that the results you get in life not just flow out of what you do, they flow out of what you see. So now we're arguing, now we're, we're making the, the, the case about the law of attraction and what you think and believe. And so then the suggestion is this, that if you want to change something, uh, results that you're getting in life, okay, yeah, you have to change some behaviors, some habits, or whatever the case might be, but ultimately you have to change what you believe. So if I believe this is a very evil world, the law of attraction, if you will, or the secret will manifest that. Why? Because of what you just said. So let's say you grew up all your life and your parents and maybe the community you lived in just kind of drilled into you that you are, you know, that the world is just an evil place. So now project yourself 40 years later. And I'm going to ask you, Sean, if you learn this all of your life, and now this is what you believe that the world is an evil, dangerous place, how might you be behaving? Give me some examples of how you might behave. Very defensive, uh, apprehensive. uh, Take it dark. Close, closed off. Um, yep. isolated. Boom. Um, somebody walks up to your door and what? Well, somebody walks up to your door. You, I mean, I, for me, I would just not answer it, but I mean, if well, somebody, it, but, if we're, if yeah. we're in a, you know, let's, let's use, I mean, we could possibly be on the brink of something that, that may not be very, very pleasant. 
Correct. Uh, so coming, all of that coming yes. coming once this. I mean, th- we're in the, we're in the easy part of this pandemic. Yes. Right. This is this is this is Candyland right here. Yeah. We're all safe. We're all yep. getting money. That's somehow yeah. you know whether you're still working, whether you're getting money from uh, unemployment. Everybody's taken care of right now. Maybe a little bit inconvenient, but what next? Okay. Yeah. The financial part, that's, that's what is going to make or break this thing. Seriously. No question. The, the financial part and, and, and what people do. And so we're, mm-hmm. we're kind of back to the same concept that because I also believe that the, uh, not only the individual conscience, your, your subconscious and your mind, um, you know, influences how you behave. And therefore, the results you get. The, the same is very practical in what we call, you know, in, in my work and, and the guy that you interviewed that was an organizational psychologist, um, you know, you, you ask him to say, ask him about corporate culture. Well, it's the same thing that people collectively start behaving in the way that the culture of the organization is. So if you're in an organization, a company, whether it's a construction company or a corporate company, and the leadership and the establishment over the years has created a culture that suggests the following, that in this company, as an employee, as employees, we do not take risks. We do not take risks. Well, that's what we call corporate culture. So that's the same thing as a collective belief. And so therefore, how do people behave? Well, they behave very safe. They mm-hmm. don't do things that are risky. That, so, so the same thing exists in our mind. So now you go back to the same person that has this belief, this deep-seated belief that the world is an evil place. Yes, he acts exactly in the way that you said, all the way down to these same people that uh, end up becoming recluses for that purpose, you see. And so that's how they behave. And so what is the result of their life? Well, it's isolated. It's, it could be range anything from, from anger to fear to living and all these other sorts of things. Ted so now Kaczynski. take that. Yes. Exa- no, that's exactly right. hundred percent right. So now take that same person and, and now you're his coach or her coach. And you say, okay, I'm going to coach you to be, um, to live a better life one that's filled with joy and yada, yada, yada. And so you start talking about things that he can do or she can do. Well, so when you see people, instead of uh, crossing the street when they're coming to you, why don't you smile at them and say good morning? So they do that, but they haven't changed their beliefs about that. You see where I'm going with this? And that, that's my point is that ultimately what you feed, and, and this is where, again, sort of the, if you want to say the secret or the or the, the, the law of attraction of all those things, that the way that this works is as you feed your mind, your subconscious, you're basically telling it and training it how to direct your body, how to direct your actions. And so this is the piece that you can't see because you have to obviously do things consciously. So if I want to, if I want to become wealthy or if I want to create a podcast. And my dream is to create a podcast and a coaching business and live anywhere I want in the world, live in, in, in Gimmelwald, Switzerland. So that's what I want to do. And I want to manifest that. So first of all, I might, and I would put a conscious plan together. I would, I, and the plan would include visualizing it. Okay. You know, okay. So how, how much money do I need to make and plan and all these sorts of things, and then start doing the things that would churn out those results. 
But what if you believed that that wouldn't really happen? You see where it starts now? Now your subconscious comes into play. But the more that you feed your mind and your subconscious, this understanding of what it needs to do to direct your sub, to direct your, your involuntary habits, you have, I, I guess you could say, doubled your money, doubled your chances of achieving that. So you see, for my way of thinking, when you talk about the secret of law of attraction, it's a very practical thing that, again, I'm going to say, I think God created. I don't think it's like this thing that just accidentally happened. And so, 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 so now let me just get back to that last point that sort of brought all of this into uh, the discussion. And that is that I just don't separate those two things. I, you can explain all the, not you personally, I'm not taking any issue with what you're saying, but people can explain all these things scientifically and mystically and psychologically and, and extra test terrestrially. Extra testily. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, well, uh, well, I don't even, that's a word extra terrestrially. Uh, you, you can explain all of those stuff. And I simply say all of that could very well be true. I just believe that God created it. That's my thinking. Now, when you get into, of course, the concept of Jesus and Christianity, it, and it, of course, involves a whole different concept. And that is, of course, your belief in who Jesus was and what he did, which I do believe, but I'm saying that that's where you move into the more stricter, not stricter, but well, that's when you run into the Christian uh, tradition, as opposed to other religions may have the same belief about God and that he developed the, the, the universe, all these other sorts of stuff. Well, all of these religions, whether you go back into Judaism, Buddhism, uh, Watchtower Society, uh, you know, all of them kind of have the same story. Okay. Some similarities. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. There's similar pieces to these, to these stories, to this, uh, you know, to all of this. And I mean, I don't, I, I, I definitely don't because I mean, when I was locked up, I read quite a bit of the Bible because it's the only thing they give you when you first get into, to, when you first go into uh, intake into prison you gotta you're isolated from everybody for about you know 21 to 30 days and you have yeah. nothing to do and the only thing that you can get to read is a bible yeah and so you know and then i i started reading it and you know it's it's a good blue a blue, good blueprint yeah. to live your life you know what i mean there's yeah it a, is there's, no there's doubt a, there's a lot of good stuff that's in it mm-hmm. um but i my thoughts on it are uh you know religion is very old uh, you go back to, uh, the Knights of the Templar, uh, way back, uh, you know, on the other side of the, of the world. That's where it all pretty much started. Everything moved this way. There's been, uh, a lot of, uh, uh, what are, what are those things called? The, um, new editions of, of, of the Testament. Things have changed. Things have been, you know, things have been discovered that, you know, were manipulated and, and, you know, it, we know what that is. Um, so what my thought process was is that religion was really used to, uh, keep people in line when nobody else was looking. You know what I mean? It was, it was used I, more- I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree with that if you, if you talk about religion, but yeah. if you're talking about, and, and I don't disagree with you on that point because there is, plenty of proof through the history of time. And, and by the way, um, in some ways people have to you know, take what I'm saying in terms of the, the uh, I'm no theologian. I, I'm really not. I, I'm so, I'm very insufficient when it comes to explaining a lot of particularly historical perspectives. I, I only can, can kind of share what, what I believe and what I know. But so, so when it comes to religion, there's plenty of history that suggests there that particularly 
the man, you know, where man has taken any particular religion and then uh, systemized it, you know, and put it into a more corporate thing. But the premise of, of Jesus's life, you know, in some ways, you could argue that Jesus came to fight religion in a lot of ways because he was trying to say it ain't about the law. What he meant is the religious law. It ain't about that. He came down and made this really simple for everybody. He said, there's, you know, here are the two commandments. Do you happen to know what they are? Me? Yeah. What two commandments? Thou shalt shall not kill? No, no. So we're talking, well, we're talking, that's the Old Testament. That's important. Now, of course, he didn't say that that's not important, but no, when Jesus came around, he said, hey, this is the bottom line. And, and I'm serious about this. This is the bottom line. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all your heart. And love your neighbor as yourself. He talked about love. He, 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 you read into the, into the, in particularly New Testament, he didn't complicate things. You see, where, where, Christianity, in my opinion, well, not my opinion, I, I, I know it's true, is different than the other religions. And maybe your listen, listeners might be Muslim or Hindu or some other religions. I'm not putting, I'm not casting any bad, bad uh, tones or thoughts about them. I'm just suggesting what, what I believe. The fact is, is that the difference was, is that Jesus, when he came here, he came and professed to be the son of God. And there's where it gets, and that he died. He was crucified, died on the cross, and came back, suggesting that uh, he was the Son of God, and that in essence he was God in human form. So, what happens there is that that's the real bit. You know, if you want to just get down to religions itself or the, the various religions, that's the big distinguishing mark between Christianity and others. So, there are people that say, and I've heard them say, and I'm not putting a bad spin or arguing with them, but. I've heard many people say, well, I think, you know, I think Jesus was a good prophet and he had some really good ideas and yeah, he taught love and he tried to take care of the poor, you know, but that's it. I mean, I don't believe that, that, that he was God, that he was just a really good guy, a good person with good lessons. And my argument would, oh, and I didn't come up with this argument, but my argument's always that, well, you can't be a Christian and not believe that he was the son of God because that is the distinguishing mark that he suggested, he said, I am essentially God. You see, it gets a little bit more complicated than that. And if that's not true, then he was a lunatic, right? I mean, you can't, I mean, imagine me showing up on your show here and say, hey, Sean, I, I didn't tell you something, but uh, I'm God. Hmm. I, you'd, be, you'd be like, okay, listen, Kevin, uh, uh, my technology is about to break down. You see, I mean, right? No, I would just say, all right, well, tell me about it. Explain how you're God. And, and, well, that's because you're a good podcaster and you're going to be like, okay, let's, let's, let's roll with this. You know, yeah. but the vast majority of us would be like, okay, that dude's a little cray cray. Be like, mm, this is going <laughs> to yeah. be some good content. This, this is going to be some good content right here. But anyways, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know, man. I'm no, I'm no theologist. I'm no, I'm it's a no, mystery, I, man. You know, it's a mystery for a lot of people. It's a mystery for me. There's a lot of stuff I don't know and I don't understand. You know, the only, the only thing that I do know at the end of the day is that there are things that have happened to me in my life that I can't explain, um, Mm -hmm. that I don't know what to attribute it to. And so I just, I just throw it out there to the universe. You know, something out there was watching over me. I don't, I'm I'm not putting any labels on it. Um, and, and you know, it's, uh, it's unexplainable, but I'm here. You yeah. know, I've, I've obviously been, been given many chances to, to, uh, 
uh, right the ship and yeah. I finally have, and I'm using that, uh, my leadership, I'm using everything that I have to, yeah. to like make amends to the, like, this is my amends. You know what I mean? For it's not only your amends, but, uh, but, but if I may, Sean, uh, because I think what you're saying is so incredibly important and, uh, and I want to reflect this back to you when, when, um, when one of, when when one of my daughters, my oldest daughter, she um, when she was about a sophomore in high school, she got involved. Around here, there's a thing called Young Life. It's it is a Christian youth program. You have to be a sophomore in high school to get involved with it. And she was uh, she was pretty excited to get in, get into it, you know, because a lot of kids, a lot of high schoolers, and you know they, you know, it's a while it is a Christian thing. I mean, they do a lot of fun things and hang out and, you know, it's just a lot of fun and, you know, just a lot of hanging out just with a, a, obviously a Christian spiritual bent to it. But in any event, so she was really excited that when she was turning, becoming a sophomore. And I remember I drove her to the house um, where they first started the young life meeting for that year, that season. I think they stopped during the summer or, or they start during the summer. I can't quite remember. But in any event, so I drove her there, dropped her off. She went in and man, she was so geeked up. Really, she was. And so I left, came back about an hour, hour and a half later. And when I pulled up, she was standing in the yard in, in front of this house. And, you know, I mean, it's talking about like 100 kids were gathering, you know, so this is a lot of fun and all this sort of thing. And they have youth leaders and all these kinds of stuff. So in any event, I picked her up and I parked, first of all, I parked, you know, like a, maybe a half a block down, walked over to where she was. And I said, hey, hey, you know, how you doing? She said, okay. And so we started walking to the car. And as we got about halfway to the car, I was excited to find out how much fun she had. And I said, so how'd it go, sweetie? And she just broke down bawling. And I was like, what the heck? <laughs> I was like, man, I was blown away. And so we get in the car and I said, wow, what's wrong? What the heck? You know? And she, and, and I can't remember exact words, but she, she went on to explain that she went into this thing and nobody talked to her. Nobody paid attention to her. Nobody came over and befriended her. And as she said, she felt like she was there alone the entire time, didn't know anybody. Nobody kind of brought her into the fold. And she said, maybe right at the end, one of the youth leaders came up and said something to her and it, and it just crushed her, whatever that was, you know, it just wasn't, I think part of that was just her expectations. Right. So we're driving home and I pull into the park, into our driveway. And I was like, man, I don't even know what to say here, you know, cause I mean, that's a shame I, that they should have said something to you. And I, I was kind of saying that to her, but then this thought popped into my head. And again, for me, I was like, I didn't hear God say, okay, Kevin say this, but this thought popped into my head and I, and I thought, and I thought this is the message right here. And I said, Christina, I want to say, I want to say something to you. And I, I don't know. It was just my thoughts. And that is that, you know, sometimes these things happen to us in life. And they, they turn into gifts. They turn into things that you then can take on and help other people. And you cannot understand what you felt tonight. No, no. you cannot help other people with the experience that you just had, unless you actually experienced it. It's what we call empathy. It's your ability to actually go, wow, uh, I know how that feels. And, 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 and you can actually talk to other people. And I say the same thing to you, Sean. 
I, I really do. I, I mean this wholeheartedly that that you whether 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 you caused it or not, you suffered a lot of pain, a lot of pain. You went through a lot of shit that you cannot talk to other people about. Um, I can't talk to those people. I'm a coach. I've been doing this for 30 years. I cannot talk to the people in the way that you can talk to the people that are suffering in that way or people that are maybe heading down that road or, 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 or talking to young people and, and helping them understand what you don't, what you know. I don't care how great I am in my knowledge of personal development, of living a good life or whatever you want to catch a spirituality, any of that stuff. I cannot do it. Only you can. Why? Because you paid the freaking price. Again, whether you caused it yourself or not, however you see it, that's fine. But the point is, is that you endured, you've got the scars and the stories that will speak into the hearts of people. And, and I, and I know that you are using it in that way. It's an amazing thing. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. It's how that works, brother. And you know that. I know you know it. I'm trying to figure it out. Um, you know, it's just a matter of how do you how do you package it in a way and, and get it out? You know, a, a book obviously is the best way because the podcast has already yes. started. The podcast has yes. already been going for a year. The book yeah. would just tie in and bring it all 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 together and then you know other things can spawn off of that whether it's you know speaking Do it, en- speaking engagements uh you know coaching I, I don't know if i'd want to be a coach or not but i mean speaking to me that i i like to speak you know i like and i i was doing that when i was younger when i first the first rehab that i went to was uh i was 16 years old i had gotten in trouble my mom gave me up as a ward of the court uh because i was incorrigible she couldn't control me uh, I got in some more trouble. Then I got sent to, uh, I got a choice to either go to, uh, juvenile hall for six months or for nine months or go to a drug rehab for uh, six months. And so I chugged, I chose the, the drug rehab because it was co-ed. Um, no brainer. Wow. Right. right? <laughs> yeah. Of course. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> That's where my mind was. Uh, yep. so, you know, I went and I, I, I did this and, uh, I was, uh, in, in, in between while I was in there, we would have to go, uh, do outreaches to high schools and I would sit in front of a classroom and, and tell these kids my story and, you know, how I got there and, and, you know, my words of wisdom for them. And, found, man. And, you know, that's what, that's where I first got into doing stuff like that. And then, you know, obviously life takes on, you know, it, it took on a different, uh, uh, thing for me and, you know, go fast forward, you know, 15 years past that. Cause I think it was 16 or, or 14 years. And, uh, you know, and then here we are, you know, 2010, I decided that I was going to change my life. And then, you know, I haven't looked back since. Yeah. That's amazing stuff. Yeah. Amazing stuff. You know, but, but the problem is, is it, it's just, there's just, there's so much in this space, so much, I mean, so many different ways you can go and things that you have to do that if you don't know, and what's really starting to become apparent to me is that, you know, I always thought that, you know, getting a mentor was, was silly. You know what I mean? Like, why would I need a oh, mentor? Oh man. Yeah. 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 Like why, why would I, why would I need a mentor? You know, why yeah. would I need somebody? But it's not, it's not really, it's, it's not a, it's, I mean, I guess it is a coach. It's, it's you're, you're, you're hiring that person to guide you through and show you what you need to know to be in whatever space that you're in. That's and exactly so, right. and so it's not, 
I mean, I get it. I mean, I guess you could, it, it's a way to pay for it, uh, the fast track of it. You know what I mean? Whereas where I gave my friend all that knowledge for free and, and here's some steps that you can skip and you don't have to go through those yeah. growing pains. That's um, right. You know, this is the same thing except somebody's charging money for it. And I, I get it. I get it. But I just, you know, not everybody's, you know, I got not, not everybody can afford that. That's true. You know, and sometimes though, you know, I know as a coach, I, I, uh, you know, I, I try to, I try to be on a relative, you know, sliding scale. I mean, I've coached like, like veterans, you know, transitioning from the military, you know, I don't charge them yeah, um, yeah. or, or, or people that just can't afford it. If somebody says, Hey man, I, you know, could I, you know, get a few sessions from you trying to sort this out ain't got any money. Of course. Absolutely. I don't even have a problem with that. You know? Yeah. So, I was, uh, I, that that's part of it, but there was another one, like, like the technical part of all of this, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And there is a technical part, especially when you haven't been in it in the space where other people were at the beginning of this space yeah. and they figured out how you tie in your, your, your email list to a website to oh, yeah. figuring out how to drive traffic and tying all of these things in that integrate and merge into your brand. You know no, that's I mean? exactly right. Very, very well said. You know, it's the, it's the same. There's, there's a, uh, there's an old adage by, you know, um, you know, entertainers that, that they would say, I heard this at least 30 years ago, probably, uh, you know, and I remember a person said there's a show business is two words. There's the show, you know, and then there's the business side. And it's exactly the same for coaching or speaking or anything else that there's the there's your your skill as a coach or as a speaker. And and then there's the business side of it that you just explained. And you know, no question that business side is very, very challenging. I've, I've met people that are very, very successful business-wise as coaches and speakers, but not really that skilled. Yeah. You yeah. know, I mean, you look at people like, this is just my personal opinion. There's some entertainers out there that they're not really that good, especially if you see them live. But what they are very good at, they're good businessmen or businesswomen that they've figured out the whole marketing machine. All, and then there's others you come here to Nashville, it's the same case for L.A. or New York, anywhere else. Man, I can bring you down to some musicians and some entertainers that would blow your mind. But they're still B-listers because they, I mean, there's a lot more involved, as you well know. But yeah, yeah. maybe they haven't figured out the whole business component, the marketing and pulling all those things together that you talked about, you know. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, we are at two hours. Goes by fast. That's what happens when you have a good conversation like uh, like I'm having with you, brother. Yeah, well, I mean that's 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 the whole thing. It's good stuff, man. Yeah, that, that's what I love about about being a podcaster or you know just having a show in general and, and with no with no uh, structure. Yeah, you know it's as they say, organic. You know, just let it flow. Yeah, and sometimes you get good ones, and sometimes you don't. Yeah. But you know, yeah, yeah, more so. You but get you're good, a good. You're a good. You're a good host, though, Sean. You you uh, you listen a lot and. Uh, Right, yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. So go ahead and plug uh, all your spaces, all your places and, and things that you uh, uh, want my listeners to know about you. Well, I appreciate that. No, I, I really appreciate it a lot. So The Gap Between Two Worlds, my book, you can go on Amazon and get it. And actually, I uh, on the Kindle version, I reduced it all the way down as far as Amazon will take it for the, you know, during this whole pandemic. So I think it's like two ninety five for the Kindle version. Uh, so that's it. Yeah, The Gap Between Two Worlds. And my website is uh, 
my, my business website is actually humadyne.com. That's H-U-M-A-D-Y-N.com. And, but the thing that I'd really like to put out there is mcnultylifeskills.com. And that's the, that's this new program that I'm rolling out for teenagers. I'm really, I'm really dedicated. It's called Get the Edge. It actually, believe it or not, well, no, it's not hard to believe. Uh, I was supposed to launch the program. It was a live program here in the Nashville area. It was a six-week program teaching high school juniors and seniors various skills, life skills to help them transition into college and work. But then the pandemic the pandemic hits. And so like everybody else, like you and I were talking about, I said, okay, I'm going to keep moving here. I'm not going to just, I'm not just going to say, okay, it's gone or I'm going to postpone it. So what I did is I moved it to now an online webinar, at least for now. And so in fact, it's next, uh, next Thursday is going to be my first webinar. It's all about what you and I are talking about. It's called shape your future or the future will shape you. And again, it's a one hour uh, webinar for uh, high school juniors or seniors. And uh, you can go to mcnultylifeskills.com and that's where you register. And that's very nice of you to allow me to make a little pitch here. I appreciate that. Yeah, no, no worries. And this would actually, this episode, when it comes out and maybe it may be, you know, beneficial for me to get it out there. So in conjunction with whatever it is that you're doing, uh, since it is talking about some, some of the same concepts and, and ideas, you know, oh, yeah. you might be able to drive some people to the, uh, to, to, to listen to this. Would love to. So what I'll end up doing is, uh, send me, uh, everything that you like, everything that you said. All right. If you okay. want to just throw it in an email, uh, your links, your bio, everything that you want people to know about you to go into the show notes, as well as a picture of yourself that you want me so I can put on the, uh, the promo art and the headliner thing, audio gram that I'm going to build out for it for the promotion. And I'll send that back to you and, uh, you can share that on all your channels if you like. Outstanding, man. Happy to do it. And I appreciate the offer. Yeah, yeah, no problem, man. Well, it was a pleasure talking to you. Uh, I know you got to go. Uh, so do I. I got another one lined up at, at one o'clock. So get a little chance to have a bathroom break and a water break and uh, back. There you go. <laughs> Sean, it was a pleasure, man. I appreciate you, the, you know, the privilege of coming on here and chatting with you and, and your audience. All right. Well, I thank you, uh, uh, Kevin, and uh, have a great weekend. Thanks, brother. You too, my man. All right. Bye. Talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.